chapter 10, reading verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's go, Lord, in prayer at this time. Our Father and our God, Father, it is good to be in your house. It is good to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, singing praise to you for your great salvation, the great chasm that you um, bridged for us and for our sin that we might have fellowship with you, that we might have a relationship with you. And Father, we ask that you would just be with us this morning in the preaching of your word. We pray for clarity in the preaching of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and illumine our hearts and our minds that we might draw near to you as a people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever seen something from a distance and you thought, well, that's, that's nice, that's pretty. But then as you drew closer to it, you realize, wow, how beautiful this really is. Last summer, we had the privilege as a family to go to Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons. And uh, our daughter Amy planned the three days around the Grand Tetons. And the first day, we were kind of on this trail around the Grand Tetons. And you stop on these various sites, and you see the Grand Tetons in the background, and you take your pictures, and you can see the stream coming down. And then you move along, and there's this, there's this farm and this famous barn, and you see the Grand Tetons in the background, and you take your picture, and you think, boy, those things are beautiful. But then on the third day, you get in a boat, and you go across the lake, and you find yourself at the base of the Grand Tetons, and you realize the beauty and the majesty and the grandeur of the Grand Tetons. And you say, wow, the majesty of these mountains. That's kind of the way I feel about this text this morning. I was thinking about, you know, I'm going to just preach a message on drawing near to God. But the closer I've gotten and the more I've dug in, the greater this subject has uh, come about, just the grandeur and the glory of drawing near to God. There's no way I'm going to cover this in one message. This is going to be two messages. This is part one. All I'm going to be doing this morning is laying a foundation, and then next Sunday we're going to deal with some practical applications. And I know there's always a danger of a two-part message. Pastors are going to be people here next Sunday. They weren't here this Sunday, and they're going to miss out. And you're going to have to recap a little bit. Yes, I understand all of that. But there's so much here, there's no way I could cover it in one message. There's no way I could cover it in a 100 messages. All we're going to do is just sort of skim the surface this morning on this subject of drawing near to God. Grammatically, 
there's one main point to our text. We have two since clauses followed by the main clause. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since, there's the first since clause. You might want to circle that word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. That's the first since clause. Then look at verse 21. Here you have the second since clause. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, now comes the main clause, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the main clause. And that's the main point of our text. Let us draw near. So there's only one main point to this text. One exhortation. Let us draw near to God. Do you see that? Two sense clauses followed by the main clause, let us draw near to God. This word, let us draw near, is a favorite word in the book of Hebrews. In fact, John Piper would argue that the main purpose for the writer of Hebrews is for us to be drawn near to God. That this letter was written to encourage Christians to draw near to God. And when I read that for the first time, I was kind of shocked. Because I've got like five commentaries on the book of Hebrews, and all of them say the book of Hebrews is primarily about the superiority of Christ over the old covenant and over the old priesthood. And all that's true. But here comes John Piper and says, I would argue that the main point of the book of Hebrews is for God's people to draw near to God. Isn't that wonderful to think about? That this letter written to the Hebrews was written for you and me to encourage us to draw near to God. Seven times in the book of Hebrews, he uses these words, draw near. Let's look at three examples. You got your Bibles? Turn back to Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near. Draw near to what? To the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here he's encouraging us to draw near to the throne of grace in times of need. Anybody here this morning have a need? Anybody here this morning need some help? He's encouraging us. You've got a throne to go to. You can make your request known to God. Draw near to this throne of grace. Our king sits on the throne and it's a throne of grace for times of need, and he will help us. And then in Hebrews 7, if you turn over to Hebrews 7, 23 and 24 and 25, kind of look at the context there. It says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. There's that contrast now between the superiority of Christ over the priests of the Old Testament they all died. They cannot maintain their priesthood. 
The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost who? Those who draw near to God. We've got a Savior who is able to save us to the uttermost. And then in Hebrews eleven six, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists, and he does reward those who seek him. And so those are just three examples out of seven where the writer of Hebrews talks about drawing near. That's the main point of our text, and that is the goal of the writer of the book of Hebrews, that Christians would draw near to God. You and I this morning are moving in one of two directions. You're either moving nearer to God or you're drifting away from God. But we're all moving in one direction or the other, and the writer's encouraging us to draw near to God. If I was to ask you this question this morning, what's the essence of the gospel? What is at the heart and core of the gospel? What's the main point of Christianity? What is at the very heart of the gospel? What would you say? I mean, why are we gathered here this morning? Why do we gather every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday? What's our goal? What's our objective? Why are we here? 1 Peter 3.18 gives us the gospel in a nutshell. Pastor Tony has just preached through 1 Peter for us and done an excellent job expounding the word of God to us. 1 Peter 3.18 is a perfect summary of the gospel. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Here's the essence of Christianity. Why did Jesus Christ lay aside his glory, born in Bethlehem in a manger, was crucified outside the cross, outside of Jerusalem on a cross, was buried and three days rose again. Why did he do all of that? Answer, to bring us to God so we can have fellowship with God, so we could be reconciled to God. Ephesians 2.18, Paul gives us a summary of the gospel. For through him, meaning Christ, we both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. Through Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles have access to the Father by the Spirit through Jesus Christ. We have access to the Father. Is that drawing near? I think so. Jesus Christ introduces us to the Father. He brings us to the Father. He takes us by the hand and he ushers us into the Father's presence. I believe it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who gave this illustration. If you wanted to meet Queen Elizabeth, you don't just go marching into Buckingham Palace. You have no access to the Queen, no access to Buckingham Palace. You've got to go through some formalities and procedures. You've got to be presented at the court. There's got to be background checks. You have no access to the Queen. 
But what if? What if you knew somebody who knew the queen personally? And he or she could bring you into the presence of the queen and give you an audience with the queen. That's what Christ has done. He has given us access to the Father. Jesus Christ is the one that brings us to the Father. This is the heart and soul of the gospel. It is all about having fellowship with God, being brought into the presence of God. John put it this way. What we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. The essence of Christianity, the very heart of the gospel, is that you and I are brought into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ so we can have fellowship with God. We can enjoy his presence. The writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging us to draw near to God. Draw near. What do we have in view? What do we have in mind when we think about this idea of drawing near to God? In light of the omnipresence of God, you can't get away from God. The Bible says he's everywhere. The psalmist says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. In Jeremiah 23, 24, the Lord says, Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. That doesn't mean there's a piece of God here and a piece of God there. It means all of God is present everywhere all the time. He says, Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? He has no proximity to anyone or anything. He is everywhere all the time. As someone has said, God is the only person who can't go anywhere because he's already there. He's omnipresent. God is everywhere. And he is not far from any one of us. Do you remember Paul goes to Athens and he's looking around the city and he's seeing all these statues and idols and then he's invited to speak to the Greek philosophers. And he says, guys, I've been kind of walking around Athens, and I can see you're very religious, and you've got all these temples to various gods. In fact, he said, I came across an altar to the unknown God. That God I want to make known to you, the God that created the heavens and the earth, and that he is Lord of the heavens and the earth. And he doesn't dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by um, man as though he needed anything. And then Paul goes on to say that he's not far from any one of us, that in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your poets have said, Paul says. So what do we mean by drawing near to God since he's omnipresent? We realize, of course, that God is omnipresent. He has no geographical proximity to anyone or anything. He is not far from any one of us. Nevertheless, this idea of drawing near to God is very real to us. If I was to ask anyone here this morning, how's your week been? Have you been drawing near to God or have you been drifting away from God? You could give me some answer to that question. Yeah, I felt really close to God this week. Let me tell you about a verse I was reading. Or no, you know what? I feel distant from God. So this is very real to us. This is where we live. I heard someone say one time, why do you pray for God's 
presence in a church service? Why do you pray for God's presence at a Bible conference? That's the most ridiculous prayer because God is always present. So why do you pray that way? Yes, God is omnipresent. Yes, God is everywhere all the time. It's what theologians call the universal presence of God. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the perceived presence of God, the manifestation of his presence. Do you remember the account of Jacob? He is fleeing from his brother Esau, and it says that he laid down in the middle of this desert, and he got this rock for a pillow, and he lays down, and he goes to sleep, and he has a dream, and he sees this, this ladder that extends to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending. And then the Lord speaks to Jacob and says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. And just like I've been with your fathers, I will be with you and I will bless you and I will shield you and I'll protect you. And I'm going to give you this land. And Jacob wakes up. And he says, surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. And he anoints the rock with oil, and he names it Bethel. This is the house of God. I fell asleep, and I didn't know this is the house of God. God is present. He was there. Have you ever had those times in your life when God has felt far away from you? We all do. You find in Scripture both those who feel near God and those who feel far away from God. It's common experiences of God's people. The Puritans used to talk about the dark night of the soul. A man like John Newton experienced the dark night of the soul where he said, I couldn't find God anywhere. He was distant from me. John Bunyan, in his great uh, classic, The Allegory of the Christian Life, The Pilgrim's Progress, tells of Christian going into the valley of the shadow of death, and he's in total darkness, and he can't discern left from right or up from down. He doesn't know if he should go forward or go backwards. He's in darkness. Job says, oh, that I could find God in the midst of this mess. So sometimes God's people experience distance. God seems far away, sometimes even maybe restraining us, and we struggle. If you follow Desiring God in John Piper's ministry, John Bloom, one of his writers, experienced a time of deep darkness where he could not find God anywhere. So it was like being in an airplane, and you lose sight of the horizon. Pretty soon you don't know up from down, and he was just in this whirlwind. So sometimes... God's people experience an absence of the presence of God. And they beg and plead for God's presence again. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. I want to go back into your presence, Lord. I want to be with God's people again, marching into the house of God. That's what David was crying for. And then there are times in our lives when God draws very near to us. And he is real to us. My father-in-law, Ed Williams, tells about his conversion experience. He was a paratrooper in World War II. He came back from the war, and he lived down in Heron, Illinois. And he said, I was a pretty rough character. I got in a lot of bar fights, carried a 38 pistol on my hip. So I got in trouble down in Heron, Illinois, and some guys were after me. So he said, I came to Chicago to visit an old Army buddy. And he said, my army buddy invited me over for dinner. We sat down and had dinner. And then my army buddy says, we're going to church tonight. 
He says, absolutely furious, mad, angry that he's invited me to go to church. But he couldn't get out of it. He had dinner together. So they went to church, and he said, God showed up. He said, I don't know what the preacher is preaching on. I don't know the text. All I know is God showed up, and he brought me to the brink of hell. And he said, God was real, and hell opened wide to me. And he said, God made it clear, this is your last chance, buddy, to either surrender to me or not. And he surrendered his life to Christ. He went home that night, took all of his bottles of alcohol and poured it down the drain. The next morning he got up, he'd walk the streets of Chicago. If there's a bar, he'd cross to the other side of the street. If there's a bar, he'd cross over to the other side of the street. He took it so serious, but he said, God was so real that night. He drew near to me. I remember a time that I had in Mexico. I think it was our fourth mission trip to Cordoba, Mexico. And Paul and I were out uh, weeding the garden there in Cordoba, Mexico. We support a church as a church, the Mexican Indian Training Center, which is a small Bible college in southern Mexico that trains young men to be pastors, and they plant churches all over southern Mexico. And we were in the garden, and the garden down there, that's, that's not a recreation. This is what the boys and girls at that school eat on. This is what they survive on. And so our job was to take all the weeds out of the garden. It's a huge garden. And Paul and I are de-weeding it with others. Many of you were probably there. And I could just sense the nearness of God. It was just like he was on the other side of the cloud looking down on us and said, this pleases me. And he was so real. Pastor Moseus Torres Pastor of Baylin Baptist Church down there that we helped build. He's the pastor of Baylin Baptist Church. One day we heard that he resigned the pastorate at Baylin and accepted a church in Brownsville, Texas. And we thought, golly, for Moseus to leave his church, he loved Bethlehem Baptist Church. And he went to Brownsville, Texas and started pastoring. He lasted six months and he went back to Cordoba. Someone asked him, what happened, Moses? He said, I can't pastor in America. There's too many distractions. He said, in Mexico, we don't have much, but we have the Lord. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tony mentioned Joseph Song, Romanian pastor. He was at Calvary many years ago at a Fox Valley Baptist Associational meeting. We heard him speak three or four times to meet Joseph and his wife. And uh, this was during the um, Soviet Union and the Iron Curtain, and he was, life was threatened uh, many times that he was told to stop preaching the gospel or he'd be put in prison or executed, and he continued to preach. And he was at our church, and I was sitting there talking to him, and he said to me, he said, you know, I experienced the presence of God in Romania. He said, I live in Wheaton now, he said, I've never felt the presence of the Lord like that in Wheaton. When we were in Romania, it was difficult times, but the Lord was near to us. He was special to us. Sometimes the Lord draws near to his children. There was a time in my dad's life, he was going through a dark trial. It lasted about six months. A lot was going on. He was struggling, trying to figure out the right thing to do. It was a dark time in my dad's life. And finally, he was at the end of the rope. 
He had done all that he could. He had struggled through it. And one night he was just at his wit's end. And he did something we probably would never recommend as a pastor of a church. He closed the Bible and he said, Lord, I need to hear from you tonight. And he just opened it up. And the verse he fell upon was Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I never saw my dad cry. But anytime he would tell me about this story, there would be almost a tear in that eye. He would get choked up. Because it was a time when God really drew near to him in a very special way. And don't we all love that song, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. That's what we're talking about here this morning, about drawing near to God, walking with God, fellowshipping with God, having communion with God. And what the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us here is that God has made a way for us to draw near to him. Go back to Hebrews 10, 19. Let's look at it again. Look at what he says. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, God has opened a way, a door, has been opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh. And since we have a great priest of the house of God, let us draw near. The writer of Hebrews is given this, this imagery of the Old Testament that the great high priest would enter the Holy of Holies once a year and make atonement for the sins of his people. And he would draw into the presence of God. That's the imagery. And you remember in the Gospel of Matthew that says that when Christ died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That when Jesus died on the cross... That barrier that existed between God and his people was removed. God has made a way for you and I to draw near to him. You have to go all the way back to Genesis 3 and 4. Do you remember what happened? Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden in paradise, and then they were driven out of the garden and there at the east end of the garden, at the gate, God set up a flaming sword, a cherubim. What for? To prohibit the re-entry of the man and the woman into paradise, into the Garden of Eden. That was the effect of the fall of mankind. God drove, man, uh, drove him out of the garden, out of his presence. Paradise was lost. You could no longer draw near to God. If I was to ask you this morning... What separates us from God? The answer we could all give is just one word, sin. Sin. If you have your Bibles, look at Isaiah. Isaiah 59. Look at Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. It's not that God's got short hands, he can't reach down and touch you. 
Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that he cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear. Not like God is hard of hearing. That's why you're not drawing near to him. That's why he's not listening to you. But what? But your iniquities have separated you between you and God or caused separation between you and God. If you go back to the garden, paradise is lost. Man can no longer draw near to God. And all of mankind today is trying to get back to God, trying to get back to the place of peace and joy and happiness. The Muslim's trying to get there. The Buddhist is trying to get there. The Hindu's trying to get there. The humanist is trying to get there. And Scripture tells us there's only one way back into the presence of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. The main point of Hebrews 10 here is that God has made a way for us to draw near to him. He has opened the door. The gate is wide open for us to draw near to him. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God is no longer holding us at a distance. He has dealt with our problem, which is sin. Sin is what separated us from God. God has dealt with that problem in Christ. And now we can draw near to God because sin has been dealt with. And then in John 6, 44, Jesus says, No man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And then in John 12, 32, Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all people to me. When I die on the cross, I'm going to draw people from every tribe, every nation, every language to myself. You and I would never draw near to God unless he drew us first and foremost. And that's exactly what he's done. The only way we can draw near to him is because he's drawn us to himself. And then John says... Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Is there anybody more near to you and dear to you than your children? And yet God says, this is who you are. I've adopted you into my family. I've brought you near to myself. You're now my children, sons and daughters of my house. That's how near God has brought us. This whole passage is about God has made a way for us to draw near to him. He's dealt with the problem of sin. He's adopted us into his family. He's drawn each and every one of us to himself. And the door is open wide now for us to draw near to him. Here's my conclusion. If I was to ask you this morning, how's your walk with God? Are you drawing near to God? Or are you drifting away from God? Do you make it a daily practice to draw near to God? I came across this quote by A.W. Pink. It's what Pink says. If the soul of the believer is in a healthy condition, he will take occasions to frequently come into God's presence on purpose to have communion. If you're in a healthy spot, 
That means every day you set aside a time where you can draw near to God. And that's your purpose, is to have communion with God, fellowship with God. Is that what you practice every day? Drawing near to God. Have you read the story of the missionary John Payton? Spurgeon called him the missionary to the cannibals. He was a missionary to the New Herbides Islands. He was raised in a Scottish home. And this is the way he described his Scottish home. He said, my mom and dad were godly people. They walked with God. And he said, we just had a, a modest home. But in the middle of that home was a room called the closet. And there was just a, enough room for a bed and a table and chairs. And every day my dad would come home from work and he'd grab a bite to eat and he would enter the closet. And he'd spend an hour in the closet communing with God. And as kids, John Payton said, we knew something sacred was going on in that room. We were told not to make any noise, and we learned to tiptoe past that door because Dad was in there doing something very sacred. And John Payton said, there were many times that my father came out of that closet and his face was like glowing, like Moses. He'd been in the presence of the Lord, pleading to the Lord on behalf of his children. That's the kind of home John Payton grew up in, a father who always sought the presence of God, drawing near to God. And so that's where we end this morning. Do you make that a practice in your life of drawing near to God every single day? You've purposed that. You want to draw near to him every single day. The writer of Hebrews tells us the door is open. God has done all that is necessary. He's dealt with our sin. He's drawn us to himself. Um, he's adopted us into his family. We're his children. And he's saying the door is wide open. Draw near to me.